Welcome to All Things Financial Management, an ASMC podcast sponsored by GuideHouse, where we discuss all things under the auspices of the Comptroller's Office and address top-of-mind issues in the financial management community. Good morning. My name is Tom Rhodes. I'm a partner with GuideHouse, where I work with clients across the DOD and other government agencies to transform and optimize their financial management functions. I'll be your host for today's podcast. For those of you who may be new to this podcast series, let me take just a moment to provide some background on the American Society of Military Comptrollers. The American Society of Military Comptrollers, or ASMC, is the nonprofit educational and professional organization for individuals, military, civilian, corporate, or retired, involved or interested in the field of defense financial management. ASMC promotes the education and training of its members and supports the development and advancement of the profession of defense financial management. The society provides membership, education and professional development, and certification programs to keep members and the overall financial management community abreast of current issues and encourages the exchange of information, techniques, and approaches. And with that, I'd like to introduce our government guest for today. Today we have with us Colonel John Lee. Colonel Lee is the Deputy Chief Financial Officer of the Defense Health Agency. The Defense Health Agency is a joint integrated combat support agency that enables the Army, Navy, and Air Force Medical Services to provide a medically ready force to combatant commands in both peacetime and wartime. As the Deputy CFO, Colonel Lee is responsible for budget execution accounting, audit, facilities, private sector care, and cost management analysis for a $52 billion hospital health system. He provides leadership over the business planning, decision support, analytics, and modeling functions for the J-8. He is a native of Maryland and graduated from Auburn University with a microbiology degree. His degrees also include a Master's of Strategic Studies from the Army War College, a Master of Business Administration from the University of Texas, a Master of Healthcare Administration from Baylor University, and a Master of Science from National Defense University. Colonel Lee, thank you for being here with us today. Thank you for inviting me to this incredible opportunity here. We're excited about it. We've been looking forward to this for a long time. And Colonel Lee, we'd like for you, if you're comfortable with this, to share with us your story Maybe share with us a little bit about your background and what brought you to your current position at the Defense Health Agency. Oh, great. Hey, thank you for allowing me to kind of chat with the folks out there. And so one of the things that I realized that when I went to college, I was actually a microbiologist and and I didn't realize how far removed I was from what I truly enjoy in life and my strength, which is really mathematics and accounting. I didn't understand until I got to be a military officer how much of a person that I am in the world of accounting and accountability. So I find things are very fascinating when we look at the cost accounting for things. And basically what I mean by that is why does the cost structure is what it is and what caused it? And so that's it's, it's like forensic science of of basically finance, right? And I realized that passion when I was knee deep in snow at Fort Drum, New York, and I was a brand new lieutenant and trying to figure out 
this is not the life I would like to live for the rest of my life while I was in the military because it was cold and miserable and I was not having fun. And of course, I met a comptroller or a budget person at while I was at Fort Drum, and I thought that job was very fascinating. And ever since then, I really got to enjoy what I'm doing. And a lot of people talk about, hey, if you really love what you're doing, then you're not really working. Well, I don't think I worked for the last 27 years of my life. So that's fantastic, Colonel Lee. As you shared your story, I could feel that you really do love what you do. And I think the passion really comes out that you have for your work. With respect to your work supporting the, the defense health programs, I feel like there's a perception that the VA funds the DOD health care. For, and for those of our listeners who may not be familiar with the defense health program, can you share with us what it is and how it funds DOD health care? Yeah, absolutely, Tom. And thank you for asking that question, because one of the perception about healthcare is that our funds are really aligned to the services and that our fund is more tied to, for example, just like what you said, VA. But could I go back and tell a little bit of story and how we got here? Because I think a lot of people missed that opportunity of how Defense Health Program really came to be. I think that was so, great. All right. Well, I appreciate it. So a while back ago, after Korean War, by the way, uh, that that is probably where, where my history is really focused on because that, that fascinated me was the Korean War. They used to have this thing called the MASH unit, and I'm sure people heard of the MASH because of the TV series, right? It was very popular back in, I think it was back in 60s or 70s. But either way, I'm not really keen on the date. But after the Korean War, the MASH unit was disassembled. And when you disassemble something as big as the mass unit, you had you have all these military doctors, and they didn't have a platform to train. They didn't know what they called it back then, but they called it training. But today we call it readiness. So what happened was that all the folks, when I'm talking about providers, doctors, nurses, whomever, were aligned to the services. In other words, Army, Navy, Air Force. The problem with that is that you compete at the DOD level, defense level to get resources to maintain their skill set. And as you know, we don't just go ahead and just get a provider or a doctor or a neurosurgeon right off the street and says, you're now a military. It takes time to develop those folks. But the problem is, is when you're competing against tanks and weaponry, like for example, aircrafts and battleships, everybody loves battleships. How do you say to them, no, you cannot have a battleship but we need doctors because one of the fallacies of this is that military in the army, particularly quoted by men or generals, I'm not going to name names here, but the reason why we are the most feared army in the entire world is because our soldiers do not fear going into the rooms, to the caves, because at the end of the day, they know they'll be taken care of. They'll pull out of battlefield and, and the survivability rate is about 96%. That's the comfort they know they take risk. No other army in the world does that. But at the same time, we look at healthcare as a byproduct when that is the genesis of why the soldiers are so fearless in the US Army. And so where am I going with this? The problem is, is that while back ago, before Defense Health Program, it was just part of O&M, which is Army, right? Their funding. And we had to compete with all those great toys, the battleships, the aircraft carriers, and then the strategic bombers, right? And the tanks to say, we need more money than you guys. But their concept is I have to put these on the battlefield to win. 
regardless of what we do with the soldiers, right? At the after the battle. So the defense health program came about and health affairs came about to protect the defense health program so that we could train the doctors to so that we could have the hospitals to train the providers. So this is how we came to be. So now that we, we established a program, one of the things is, of course, in everybody's mind is the accountability of it. Or we have to look at what you call in the civilian sector, the profit and loss statements. And so when we start developing these things in the healthcare world in the, under DHP, we design things called the statement operation, which is basically their operating budget, right? And it's based on the mission set. So it so the statement operation, what we have today, is a negotiation or a, a pact with the CEOs of the hospitals. The CEOs say, we understand what our strategic plan is, and the statement operation justifies the budget to get to that plan. So basically, this is what you need to get your providers, contract, military, equipment, TDY, to support the beneficiaries in their catchment area. So that's what the statement operation is. And so a lot of people ask, okay, so now that you got the money, what are you doing with it? Then that's your accountability piece, right? And so our defense health program designed this thing called the IRIS. It's actually the integrated resource incentivized system. The IRIS model is a metric that really breaks it down by product line. In other words, if you have women's health, which looks at the OB and how, how we take care of women, or you know, we have physical performance, well, we look at, you know, a lot of soldiers get hurt. That musculoskeletal is one of the number one non-deployable item out there. And so we had to address that because when soldiers hurt, they can't deploy. And so these are kind of, and there's multiple product lines, surgical service, right? We look at surgery. But we also, why do we break these product lines down? It's because we're looking at all the MTFs around the whole entire world because we have clinics all around the world, not just US. And so this is what makes us different than any other healthcare organization, like VA only does within US. We have people everywhere, places where people don't even know exist. I have special forces there, but and so we have to look at what these product lines are doing. And these IRIS metrics kind of shows you based on the funding you have and how much workload is being coming coming in, whether we're making money or not making money. And if we if if we're not making money, then we have to invest our resources to it to ensure that we're capturing all the workload to support the beneficiaries. In other words, what are we doing to better that product line so that we could better serve our community? That's the bottom line of the IRIS. Thank you, Colonel Lee, for sharing with us that background and the impact of IRIS on, on the DOD healthcare system. There's a major transformation being undertaken right now within the military health system. Can you share with us what the role of the military health system is and the current transformation efforts? Yes. You know, there's a lot of folks who believe in it, a lot of folks who don't believe in it. But the bottom line is we're here. We are almost done with transition. So now we have to transition from our continuous strategic discussions to execution. And one of our roles is to ensure that the hospitals and the people that work in the hospitals are supported with the one set criteria, which is the joint strategic messaging, this joint strategic execution. And so DHA has put all its attentions to the MTF, which is the medical treatment facilities. Our sole purpose is to ensure 
that we invest the right capital or right resources for them to be successful in capturing workload to support all the beneficiaries out there. And a lot of decisions, a lot of discussions revolves around how can we better the direct care system to ensure that the beneficiaries do not have to travel too far from their homes or their access to care is limited because we cannot build capacity or capability in these MTFs. And as you know, in the MHS, one thing that's different from what the service has done is that we have the contract for managed care, which is the private sector care. So we are able to see both sides of the data. So when, when we know that the private sector care contract claims go up, we know there's an issue with access to care or capability or capacity at the MTF or the medical treatment facility. And it's our job to assess and to support to ensure that that does not happen. And the main objective is to get the help to the MTF so the MTF could open up their aperture to help the beneficiaries. So it is a kind of a tri-service effort to get to that end state, over. What would be the role of the military health service comptrollers in this transformation? And what is their, their strategic vision going forward? So that's a very interesting question. As you know, because we have three services, they all have different ways they, they brought up comptrollers. And one of the things that I'm kind of working on is making a service agnostic certification. And I'm actually working with ASMC and PDI to see if we could have a CDFM healthcare certification. So why is that so important? Everything else comes up to point of uh, operating company models, right? Standardizing the process. So once we have the standardized process saying that, you know, these comptrollers are certified in healthcare services, I think we could start moving on from there. And one of the things that I see from the comptrollers, what they need to do, they have to embrace the change. They now have to be part of the DHA military healthcare system and begin to think about service as an agnostic flavor, neutral. We no longer can think service-specific needs and their execution because when it comes down to healthcare, it really is not service-specific. I think we continue to think that, that healthcare is different from service to service because at the end of the day, in healthcare, variance is very dangerous. So you will see that the entire healthcare portfolio works around this and called the CPG, Clinical Practice Guidelines. What that means is that whenever you have a problem with, with a patient, there's a standard treatment for it. And so healthcare is not different at the Army, Navy, Air Force. And so our control has got to start embracing that. We cannot incorporate non-joint thought process. Because if we do, we're destined to fail. And we must be stronger collectively because there's no going back to what we did the old way of doing business. That is not part of the COA. And health affairs were created to protect that healthcare readiness dollars. And so we must ensure that we maintain healthcare dollars to continue to enhance the medical readiness. And so what I'm saying is that in order for the medically ready force to really be at its most advantageous point in metrics, 
we all have to work together to get there. We just can't say because this is Air Force, this is because this is Navy, we should have a different way of doing business. Early in the spirit of moving forward, what are the DHA efforts to enhance financial operations? So these are kind of things that has some little pluses and minus. And this is probably the one time that I probably show a little bit of negativity in the way we do business, because at the end of the day, we have to kind of show our, our weakness as well as we show our strength. And so DHA's biggest hurdle is the requirements adjudication from the services. What I mean by that is that when we consolidated all the healthcare in, under one roof, there are things outside the MTF, the operational units, such as SOCOM, such as the Delta Force, or such as the AMC, which is the Army Material Command. All these folks have healthcare needs. Whether they think they do or not, it all comes down to it. Why? Because at the end of the day, it's not just about people, but we also have pharmaceuticals, right? A line unit has these medics. That's that's the, our point of spear. They go out with the fighting force. They require medications. But how do we streamline that? How do we ensure that what they're using is the most relevant data? How do we know that what they have is adequate? How do we know that what they have is effective? And the biggest part is how do we ensure that they get more of it if they need it? So these are all system processes that has to be streamlined. And one of the challenges is that we just inherited all these different processes and how each of the services have conducted those business. So DHA's uh, mission is to make sure that we have an operating company model, a standard process that everybody could understand, a standard process that everybody could accept and execute. And so that's one of the biggest challenges of, of what we do. And for comptrollers, one of the biggest requirement is that how do we bring those requirements up to our level, make a deliberate prioritized decisions, and then adjudicate that, and then implement that across the board where everybody could adopt it. Because we do have barriers in IT, we do have barriers in the system, because there's a lot of homegrown system that actually talks to each other, but don't talk to services. And those are some of the challenges that we have to work through. We're not going to be able to solve it overnight, but by golly, this is what we're talking about when we say we need to get to execution because we have to fix, we have to solve that problem because our soldier, airmen, and our Navy personnel need it. Not just require, but they need it. Because if you're going to make it a very effective fighting force, they have to know that we're there for that. And we are the last stop in their healthcare. So if they are seriously injured, they come to us and we have to ensure that they get to us. I know you're so busy and I appreciate the time that you've shared with us. And I can really feel the passion that you have for what you do and for the passion that you have for our warfighters. And the question that we usually like to close with is, knowing what you know now, Colonel Lee, what advice would you give to a new careerist who's just starting out in federal service? So going back to how I got to be where I am today, you know, some of them is by luck and some of them is just by sheer fact that you you are very good at certain things, right? But knowing what I know now, I think that we have to design a platform where we understand that other people don't have the same information as you do. And so how do we get that information out there? How do we share those information out there? 
And I think one of the biggest myths by a lot of young comptroller, by the by not just by comptrollers, but a lot of service men and women, and as well as junior officers who are just getting in, is network. I think we have to build a network where mentors are available that they could reach out to any service because they are doing certain things that people find interesting. And also, we have to build some platform where those mentors could actually have people come to them. And one of the things that I think if I could do things over again, knowing what I know, I would start encouraging people to reach out as a junior officer or a junior anybody. Because one of the things that they're scared of is that, just like you, you mentioned a couple of times already, I'm too busy. We're, we, as, as senior officers, as consultants for 70 Charlie, which is comp shows when I, when I was a consultant, we will make time. I, I would find it very hard to believe that senior officers would ever turn down an opportunity to mentor or even facilitate questions so that to guide young junior officers. And the junior officers at the same time are too shy or too scared or don't want to take away their time because they think they're too busy. No one should be above that fray. Everyone should be available, accessible any time of the day when it comes to development. Because at the end of the day, I'm not going to be in the Army or the military health care system too long. And I have to build a succession plan. And we have to we have to go fish for talent. And in order to find those talent, we have to build relationships. And relationship is through networking. I'm not sure if I answered your question, but that's how I think, that's how I know, and that's what I want. Now, Colonel Lee, thank you so much for sharing that. It's great counsel and great advice for our new careerists. And I, again, I want to thank you so much for your time today and being our guest. I know that um, you're very busy and appreciate all that you're doing and your service for our country. Thank you. Well, thank you for this time, and I really appreciate this. This is a very delight for me, and I wish that a lot of other folks take some time to do this because information is powerful, and I think spreading the information out is even better. All right, thank you all. Thank you for tuning in to All Things Financial Management, an ASMC podcast series sponsored by GuideHouse. You can find all our episodes on ASMC's Engage platform and at our website, guidehouse.com, all things financial management.